0: good morning baseball fans and welcome to the 29th episode of the morning roundtrip podcast here on august 8th my name is drew frank joined by my co-host liam Cruthers. hello and good morning And today, once again, we are headlined by a COVID-19 update. We look right back again at this Cardinals organization as three new positive tests have emerged, one with a staff member and two from players, Ryan Helsley and Austin Dean. These positive tests came out yesterday morning and has resulted in the cancellation of the entire Cardinals-Cubs series. The Cubs are already back at Wrigley Field, and for these Cardinals, it just means even more postponed games. They've played the fewest games in the MLB, and right now it looks like that's just going to continue.
1: The St. Louis Cardinals have 55 games that they still need to play. And as of yesterday, they had 51 days to do it. So now that number is at 50, and it looks like there haven't been any contingency plans made up to even contend with the prospect of this lost Cubs-Cardinals series. St. Louis, look forward to playing a lot of seven-inning doubleheaders. I'm sure you guys are going to be the litmus test for this because they have to get through a ton of games in a very, very short span if they want any hope at getting any kind of off days during this season. Like I said, the Cardinals have a lot of games to get through, not a lot of time to do it. It's going to be a very, very intense schedule as the season goes through. And man, I think the Cardinals are going to have to make a lot of noise in a very short span of time if they want to figure out their position in the NL Central.
0: Yeah, we've seen the owners not wanting to run the season much later than October. So it doesn't look like right now a season extension is in the cards, no pun intended. But the 7-inning double-headers so far have worked okay, so we'll see how that goes. Of course, that was one of the three games we predicted last night, so we can't talk on that. I had the Cardinals, and clearly they went and messed everything up, so don't know how that prediction looks now. But the other two games continued on, and they were both very exciting games. From the Trop, the Yankees and Tampa Bay Rays made good use of the national game exposure they were given on MLB Network, and pitched quite well on both sides. The Yankees were led by Masayo Tanaka, who went five innings, allowing just one hit in the first inning, and then was perfect the rest of the way. His total line had one hit, no runs, no walks, and five strikeouts. On the other side, it was Blake Snell, who still isn't fully stretched out yet, so he only went three innings. But those three innings, no hits, no runs, Two walks and five strikeouts, including four in a row at one point. If you combine that with the next reliever, Andrew Kittredge, they combined to no-hit the Yankees through five innings. Not a lot of offense, as both teams, even through all nine innings, only combined for a total of four hits, two each. But the pitching was on full display last night.
1: This was a pitcher's duel in every sense of the term. At one point, as you mentioned, Blake Snell, four Ks in a row, and four of his five strikeouts came via the curveball, and he rung up Aaron Judge twice. And on the other side, Masahiro Tanaka, like you said, five strikeouts as well. And then the bullpens showed up for both teams, and they were very, very impressive. Now, I'm not too worried about the Yankees' offense in this one. We've seen earlier in this year the potential that they have to really go off and really post a big number on the scoreboard. But the Rays are a different story. Now, in the Rays' wins before this game, they were averaging seven runs in those wins. In their losses, they're averaging around two and a half runs, so it's very much been feast or famine for this Rays offense, and they've had to rely a lot on their bullpen. Luckily, the Rays bullpen so far has been one of the best in the league, and a tremendous performance from Diego Castillo and Nick Anderson from the bullpen in this game for tampa bay nick anderson was really impressive in this one as he came up in a big spot to face gary sanchez threw him three fastballs good morning good afternoon and good night sat him down (laughs) on the way to a one nothing tampa bay win it's not exactly a scoreline you would expect to see in a game like this no
0: not at all but spoiler alert Get ready for another pitching duel today. We'll get to our prediction later, but Garrett Cole versus Tyler Glasnow on the mound. Expect more of the same today. Our other game out west was between Houston and Oakland, a battle atop the American League West. And this game didn't disappoint either. Again, two very strong pitching performances. Chris Bassett went seven innings with just three hits allowed. Gave up one earned walk three and struck out three. But seven innings of three-hit ball. You'll take that all day long. Zach Granke continued to look good. Went six innings scoreless. Only gave up 5 hits and struck out 5 with just 1 walk. But it was the bullpen that came in right away to relieve him and erased the 1-0 lead that he had built up. Josh James we saw back in relief and it only took him 6 pitches to allow a solo home run to Robbie Grossman to tie this game right back up. Another game, kinda like the one we just talked about, where there wasn't a lot going at the plates. With it took us until the 13th inning before we saw either team score a second run. And the stars weren't quite there last night. O for six from Guriel, from Brantley 0 for 5, Mark over 0 for 6 with a couple of strikeouts. Matt Olsen, 0 for 5 with 4 strikeouts right in the middle of their order. And on the Astros' side of things, Bregman, Altuve, and Correa were a combined 3-for-16 with 9 stranded on base between the three of them.
1: Yep, you can credit this game to either two things. You can say that the bullpens and the starting pitchers did well to limit the run production, and I think that is true in the case of Chris Bassett and Zach Greinke. But you look at the relievers in this one, it's not like they avoided trouble altogether i mean they found themselves in some really precarious situations with runners on base through different points throughout this extra innings period now by the time this game finished it was 124 here on the east coast so a quick turnaround for us here on the morning round (laughs) trip podcast hey but hey we love baseball and that's why we're here bright and early every single day now marcus simeon in the 13th inning with the bases loaded his second bases loaded opportunity of the game is able to drive in that athletics winning run. Now, I have to say, I was not impressed by the athletics approach throughout this extra innings period. Multiple times it looked like they were trying to hit that walk-off home run, and I think that's definitely not the mentality that you need if you wanna be successful in these late game situations. I mean, it seemed like every time there was a man on third, for some reason, their batters were up there swinging for the fences, I saw Chris Davis put together a really poor at-bat and he struck out on a high fastball that he had no chance to even catch up with. I saw Mark Canna swing for the fences and set himself down with a big, big cut. I mean, the situational awareness for this A's team just was really poor in this game. And I think they're almost lucky that they were able to come away with a win after so many missed opportunities uh, with runners on base.
0: Well, the 10th, 11th, and 12th, they stranded eight base runners between those three innings. The most he could strand was nine, so they they, had the bases loaded twice. (laughs) They left runners on the corners where they had runners on the corners with nine outs. They just couldn't get it done, but luckily, J.B. Wendelkin in the pen was phenomenal for them. Pitched the 11th to 13th, so three innings of relief, allowed just two hits, one run unearned because it was the runner on second that came in to score. But yeah, this game, just a crazy way to start this series. I'm excited to see what we've got in store for the last couple games of it today and tomorrow. But for me, the one thing that I had a hard time avoiding the comparison in the back of my mind is when we saw Granky get pulled and the lead blown from the relief. You look around the league and now the Astros are tied with the Orioles of the 6-7 records. And the Orioles were actually able to beat... The Washington Nationals, 11 nothing yesterday, makes you wonder, what happened uh, if you left Granky in a little longer last night? What would happen if you left Granky in a little longer in Game 7? But, uh, hey, whatever. It's too late for them anyway. I digress. A massive Zach Granky fan right over here, but what are you going to do right now? Around the league, we also saw a lot of interesting stuff. Continuing with that American League West, Mike Trout continues to be absolutely unreal. He's now got four home runs in the four games since he came back after becoming a father. And of course, he homers in his first at-bat at Globe Life Field because why wouldn't he as he just continues to terrorize every single team in that Western division. He looks crazy good, and bonus points for him homering on his birthday. So, happy belated birthday to Mike Trout.
1: Wait, Mike Trout looks good? What, what <laughs> universe is this? <laughs> Guy's been on fire, man. I mean, I didn't think it was possible for him to get any better, but Mike Trout with dad strength? i mean, Unreal. God, look out.
0: <laughs> we also saw Alex Verdugo having quite a night for the Red Sox. He launched two opposite field home runs as a lefty, which you don't see too often in Fenway Park, the first time in almost a decade since Blue Jays left-hander Lyle Overbay hit two over the monster against John Lester way back when, but for Verdugo, he wasn't done. In the top of the ninth inning, Travis Shaw tried to hit one out of his former home, but Verdugo, after hitting two himself, went up and robbed Shaw of one. Just a, a great performance from him. And Trevor Bauer continued to dominate. He went six innings, striking out 12, allowing just three hits and a walk for one earned against Milwaukee. Very dominant. He's now got 30 strikeouts in just three starts. First red to ever do that. And you know their franchise has quite a bit of history to it. Continues to impress. And finally, an absolutely stupid wild game (laughs) between the Tigers (laughs) and the Pirates yesterday they go 11 innings final score 17 to 13 that's right they went to extras and this game just crazy we saw runs everywhere Eric Gonzalez 4 for 5 with 6 RBIs we saw Phillip Evans also on the Pirates 3 for 5 with 4 RBIs just hitting everywhere feel bad for the pitchers 16 pitchers used between the two teams just I don't even know what to say this looks like a football score (laughs)
1: 17 13 this this is Lions versus Steelers man this isn't a baseball game the hell happened here
0: well just continuing that craziness I want to take a quick look around the MLB right now because we've got the Marlins at seven and one We've got the Rockies leading the West. We've got the Astros below 500. And here's my question, because I picked my playoff teams before the season started. And now eight of my 16 playoff teams are below 500. I'm not just talking out of a playoff spot, below 500. So I'll, I'll read you these teams, and I want you to tell me who you are most confident in and who you are least confident in the rest of the way so starting with the American League got the Rays who are under 500 out west we've got Houston and the Angels and in the National League my picks were clearly a little off-center Washington the Mets the Reds Cardinals and Arizona all well below 500s I mean what do you think here from what you're seeing
1: I will say that there are a couple of these teams that jump out to me as teams that I don't think you should be worried about purely based on the fact that they don't exist in ultra competitive divisions where three or four teams can legitimately make the playoffs. the Tampa Bay Rays are one of them at six and seven nearly 500. I'm not too worried about them in the East. I mean obviously everyone understands that the Yankees nine times out of ten finish atop that American League East and I mean you you look at the way the Rays have played so far this year you can see that the pieces are there for them to put something together that allows them to come into that second spot into the American League East, so I wouldn't worry about them too much. And the Washington Nationals have played 10 games, and I don't think that a four and six record at this point for them, the reigning World Series champions, the Nationals, I think, have everything that they need in order to be a playoff team, do I think they make it deep into the postseason this year? Not necessarily, but I do think they still have the potential to work their way into a playoff spot. I mean, if you look at the Miami Marlins and the way they've started, I don't think anyone expected that from them. But it's going to be very, very interesting moving forward. A team that I am worried about, however, in that East is the Mets. Five and nine so far this year, and Pete Alonso is having the sophomore slump of sophomore slumps. He's a guy that you really needed to show up this year for the Mets in terms of a guy who was going to produce on offense. They obviously don't have the rotation in place that they probably would have liked with the lack of Cindergaard and uh, they've been missing Stroman so far. DeGrom can't do everything on the field, although I'm pretty sure Mets fans wish that he could. Probably a good enough athlete too, but I am worried about the Mets in the East. Out West, I do think the Arizona Diamondbacks are a little misleading with their 5-9 record here. I don't think they've played awful baseball, and I think they had a really strong series against the Houston Astros this week. So I think moving forward, they might have a couple of question marks that they have to answer. But, man, you look at the way the Dodgers play and you look at the way that the San Diego Padres have been playing, man, that team's almost come out of nowhere to take that second spot in the West. And, I mean, the Rockies, too. I mean, just the Arizona Diamondbacks aren't necessarily playing awfully, but they're in a division that's so jam-packed with talent and so jam-packed with teams that might legitimately make the playoffs. I mean, I think... LA, San Diego and Colorado could all make the playoffs uh, in a 60 game season like we have right now. And I think Arizona finds themselves on the outside looking in there.
0: And a big reason they've fallen behind is because they've had a tough schedule facing the Dodgers for four, the Astros for three. But really what's been the difference is they've dropped four of the five games they've played against the Padres so far, including last night, where we saw Fernando Tatis Jr. homer on the first pitch of the game. They would go on to win that game 3-0, so they would never look back after that home run, the eventual winning run. But they're back in action today, or I guess I should say tonight, at 9.10 p.m. Eastern, and we'll start our predictions there. It's going to be Merrill Kelly visiting Chris Paddock. I think the Diamondbacks really need a win, so I wouldn't be surprised if they came out swinging and had a hot start to tonight's game, but Chris Paddock has really impressed me, and I can't pick against
1: him. I'm going to go with the Padres in this one. Like you said, I think the Diamondbacks do need a win here, but this San Diego Padres offense has been so, so potent and has the potential to go off any given night, especially given how streaky Manny Machado can be and just... How much pop we've seen from trent grisham i mean dude jake cronenworth who i mean this guy has been lighting it up for the padres i mean doesn't matter where you play him he's been tremendous and i think the padres are going to be able to get those bats going again and i think chris paddock gives them a chance in this one as well padres over diamondbacks
0: We also continue the series at the Trop, and this is going to be an interesting one because it's a doubleheader today, but the first game is going to be Garrett Cole and Tyler Glasnow. Here's the thing that's kind of leaving me unsure of who to pick. In a seven-inning game, you could get a complete game shutout from Garrett Cole. I don't think that's out of the question at all. But on the other side, Glasnow went four innings in his first start four and two thirds in the second start and he's not a guy that's going to give you too much depth in a nine inning game. I almost feel like a seven inning game kind of plays more towards his style where you need to rely on your bullpen and if you take two innings off the end you don't need to as much. So I think if there was going to be a a game that he dominates and and really controls it's going to be a seven inning game and I'll take the Rays again on this one.
1: Now, like you said, this is a very unique situation for a guy like Tyler Glass now. Kevin Cash is going to have to make a decision here at some point. Does he have enough faith in Tyler Glass now stuff to leave him in there in the sixth and seventh, which are essentially now the eighth and the ninth and have him potentially be hurt by a long ball or have him run into trouble very quickly against a strong Yankees offense? Garrett Cole is, without a doubt, probably the second best pitcher in baseball behind Jake DeGrom. He's the best pitcher on the best team. That's for sure. I'm going to go Garrett Cole over Tyler Glassnow in this one, because I think that Tyler Glassnow, while he puts together a strong performance, might be left in a little bit too long. And I think he throws maybe one or two pitches that really get him into trouble in this one.
0: Yeah, we haven't seen him been allowed to throw even 90 pitches so far. So I'm, I'm not sure really what to expect there. That's this afternoon at 2.10 p.m. And between the two games, we've got Atlanta visiting Philly. Kyle Wright on the mound once again, taking on Jake Arrieta, two guys on potentially very different trajectories in their careers. So that could be an interesting matchup. They play tonight at 6.05 p.m. Eastern. I think you gotta like Atlanta. I think they gain on the Marlins.
1: (laughs) And I think I'm going to go with Kyle Wright in this one. Cal Wright has had a rough start to his season, there's no doubt about it. His ERA sits at 7-5-0, and he's 0-1 on the year. He needs to put something together if Atlanta want to have a strong game in this one now. Jake Arrieta on the other side didn't have a terrible game in his last outing against the New York Yankees. The Yankees offense is always hard to quiet down. But with how potent this Atlanta Braves offense has shown they can be, I think they're going to be able to keep things rolling. I'm going Braves over Phillies.
0: Well, that'll do it for today's show. You can find us on Twitter at TripMorning. You can find us on Instagram at MorningRoundTrip. And if you haven't checked out the Instagram, there is no better time than today. Got a great, beautiful graphic up by our graphic maker Kayla Rosmus, highlighting one of the best bats in the entire league so far. Corey Seager, who leads the league in barrels, leads the league in hard hits, and has been a key piece in that Dodgers offense, so keep an eye out for that. And we'll be right back here tomorrow morning. So thank you for listening, and for Drew Frank and Liam Crothers, have a great day, everyone.